For all of us, I invite you to hear this reading for us from the Old Testament, from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 15a. Hear these words. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. Hey, the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around there beside his head. It was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your grace and your love and your work amongst us. Lord, as we enter in this time of deep discipleship, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be attentive to your word speaking to us. 
Turn out the distraction of our lives so that we may focus on where you are leading us in this moment. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Four or five years ago, was when Abby and I first started to wrestle with coming back to West Virginia. And West Virginia has always been that place of deep love for me. You can see it in my stole. If you've ever noticed, half this stole is representative of the, of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. The other half is representative of West Virginia. Abby had this commission for me at my ordination to represent my two loves of Kentucky and West Virginia. Never imagined that I would come back, even though it was always that itch that needed to be scratched in the back of my head. I'd even told one member that always told me after I got ordained that you'll go back one day, just watch. And I told her, there ain't no way. Well, here I am. We came back. We made the decision to come back for and a half years ago, primarily for Noah. You see, we weren't getting the access to therapies that we needed. We had a great school, we had a great community, we had a supporting environment, but we didn't have the resources we need to really thrive. Traveling an hour and a half sometimes just to get therapy and oftentimes having to go out of state just to get basic care. We needed family, and we needed to be closer in order to do the work that I do as a pastor. And so we came back to West Virginia with the hope of knowing that we would be somewhere closer to therapy and resources. Unfortunately, there's only three cities in this entire state of West Virginia that really fit what we need. But we came back for family, to be closer to my friend, family that I and be closer to Abby's family. It's not been what we thought it would be. Coming back's been hard. The state's different. It's a lot angrier and a lot more frustrating since I left in 2003. We see it in how we drive with one another. How often is it that we cut each other off just on Bee Ridge Road? Or how mad do we get when the cashier at Walmart doesn't get our order right? There's this sense of anger that just is prevalent that I've experienced. As well, we've experienced a lot of pain as it comes to Noah. He's been abused in school. He's come home from one school with marks on his back that can only happen by someone doing something, and yet it was explained to us as we don't know how that happened. We've seen his IEP ignored. We have seen worksheets being counted as quality education. And we've seen him emotionally abused. Outright ignored because everyone else knew better than the autism advocate, the dad, the pastor, the advocate, the behavioral analyst, and everyone else. 
we're now in a point where we have to start traveling out of state just to get basic care for him. And my family's not been as around as much as we had thought it would be. It's been a hard four years just in that. And then you add in the leadership of this time. Leadership in a normal period is like having a boulder on your back and walking up a steep mountain. Leading in COVID and in political disagreements and division and leading in societal angst is like having a ton of boulders on your back and climbing up Mount Everest by yourself. Never before had I ever imagined that I would see a Facebook post mocking my leadership. Never before would I expect to open a mail and get an anonymous letter questioning how I'm leading. Never before would I get, had I expected when we make changes to COVID, get an email to say, how dare you make us wear masks? Not the church, me. I've seen people scream and yell. And there are times when I feel like maybe I should just quit. Barna research tells us that in the last year, 42% of pastors have thought about resigning because of the challenges of leadership in this time. 42%. That's up from 2020. In 2020, it was about 25, 30%. If that same study is done this year, I expect it to go higher. And I bet you're tired of masks. I'm I bet you're tired of the anger that you see in society. And I bet you're just ready to just throw your hands up and say, I quit. 
Or maybe you look around at the church and you think, I remember what it was like 10, 15, 20 years ago. And maybe you just want to say, well, why can't we be like that now? And maybe you're just frustrated and just looking for quick answers and just say, it won't be like that again. Maybe you're just ready to say, I quit. Or maybe you're just tired of all the division, all the frustration, and you're just like, I would rather just go play golf than do anything else. Or maybe life's not what you thought it would be. Maybe you've not experienced everything you thought life would be about, or maybe life has thrown you a lot of curveballs and a lot of hard knocks, and you're just saying, you know what, I'm out. I'm done. I think all of us, no matter where we are, can relate to just feeling like we're done. And I bet you in that moment we can relate to Elijah. You see, Elijah is this great prophet of the Old Testament. This great prophet that even though he doesn't have a book named after him like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. He is one of the most fundamental prophets of the Old Testament. And he challenged the leadership of the time. He came in at 1 Kings 17 in a point of deep chaos. His leadership came in in a time of Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel were the kings of the northern kingdom or Israel. When we think of Israel, we think of the modern state of Israel, right? This place that we hear a lot about in the news. But when you look in the Old Testament, Israel has two connotations. One, it's the people of God, the people who are following Yahweh. But it's also, two, this conglomeration of ten tribes in the northern part of what we would call today modern-day Israel. After about Solomon and after Solomon's death, the kingdom divided. And ten tribes in the north around Samaria became known as Israel. And then two tribes in the south, known as Judah and Levi, centered themselves around Jerusalem and were known as Judah. Or Judea. Ahab and Jezebel were in charge of what was known as Israel, but they weren't people of God. In fact, they were probably as far to, away from God as you could imagine. Probably one of the most ruthless, evil, bitter, resentful, angry people you've ever met in the Old Testament. They are the picture of the axis of evil, if you want to use that language. Ahab, the seventh king of Israel, was known for his ruthlessness, led by his wife Jezebel, who influenced and pushed him to just do some evil things, especially as it related to the prophets of God, and primarily because she worshipped this Phoenician god known as Baal. And we see Baal appear throughout the Old Testament as this tempting god that is of the god of some of the people of Canaan that the people are entrenched by or attracted to and want to follow along with. Well, they have worked together to destroy the prophets and have centered up a whole sense of worship around Baal until Elijah comes into the picture. 
And when Elijah comes into the picture, he challenges them in multiple ways for, to say, you need to get back to God. One of the ways he does it and says is that God is going to bring a drought. And for two years, there's this mighty drought across the land. And then the next thing you see him do is he goes to the widow and he goes to raise this child's life. And, but then you see Elijah challenge the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And he challenges them to get a bull and pray to Baal and say, well, if Baal is real, then he will set this bull on fire as a sacrificial offering. Well, the prophets of Baal, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And guess what? That bull still stayed there and no fire was ever lit. Well, then it became Elijah's turn. And then Elijah came up and he took 12 stones, each for the 12 tribes of Israel, laid them out and created an altar. And then he put this bull on top of the altar and then he poured water all over this bull to really make his point home. Poured all this water, soaked this bull up, not with gasoline, but with water to just drench it. And then he prayed, God, if you, if you hear me, set this sac sacrificial bull on fire. And then as soon as he's done praying, this bull catches on fire, this drenched, wet, soaking wet bull is caught up on fire and is taken up to heaven as a pleasing sacrifice, an aroma pleasing to God. Well, at that point, Ahab knows that Elijah has bested him, and the prophets of Baal know that their day is just going to be awful because Elijah orders them to be killed, carries them down the mountain of Carmel, and kills every one of the prophets of Baal. Well, Ahab isn't too kindly to this. He doesn't like this because it's his prophets who have been bested by Elijah and who have now been killed. And so he goes home and he goes to Jezebel and he says, you're not going to believe what that no good rotten scoundrel Elijah did. Ahab didn't have any affinity to Elijah. He killed all the prophets. Now, Ahab says that because he thinks the prophets of Baal are true, even though we know that's not to be the case. They've killed our prophets. What are we going to do about it? And Jezebel calls for a messenger and sends a message to Elijah that basically in modern terms says this, you're dead to me. If I see you, if you're around me, I'll kill you myself. Now imagine you're Elijah and you get that message. You're not too happy right now, are you? Even though you've done a lot of good, even though you are faithful, even though you know that God has bestowed a lot on you, you see that message and you start to get afraid. Your life is in jeopardy. Your life is in trouble. And so Elijah runs. He runs as far away from Jezebel as he could to the southern parts of the southern kingdom in Beersheba, which is at the southern tip of the promised land. 
And he leaves his servant there, and then he tries to go out into the wilderness because he just wants to die. Here's this mighty prophet of God, this mighty prophet who has bested the prophets of Baal, who is just ready to quit and say, I've had enough. Why? Because when life is hard, when life is difficult, when life is challenging, the negative rises up over what is good. And often when life is difficult, when life is challenging, when life throws everything at you, all you can see is what is bad and not what is good and holy. We see this in Elijah. He runs off to the wilderness and he goes and he wants to just die, even when this angel visits him and says, wake up, wake up, we got work for you to do. You need to eat. You got a journey to do. And he doesn't really eat enough. And the angel wakes him up again and says, go, you got to go to Mount Horeb, which is where the mountain range that has Mount Sinai to it. And he goes, he eats, but he goes and he goes there to meet God. And when he comes, he sleeps in this cave and the next morning he wakes up and he sees God and God comes up to him and says, Elijah, buddy, pal, friend, what are you doing here? We don't know why God asks him this question. It could be that maybe God is trying to wake him up a little bit and say, hey, you got some work to do or why are you on this mountain or what's going on in your life? But for whatever reason, God asks him, why are you here? But notice what Elijah says in response. I've done everything you've wanted me to do. I've done everything that you've asked for me. I've been zealous for you. And I'm the only one standing. I'm it. And I'm done. What has it gotten me? A death threat. I'm done. I quit. Kill me now, God, and just end it. Elijah is only focusing on what's gone wrong. And what is the negative? And when we are consumed by negativity, when we are consumed by what is wrong, we even cloud our vision to the great moments of God that it's working around us. Because Elijah doesn't tell the whole story. He knows that he's not the only one. He's been told a, a couple chapters before this that Obadiah has taken some of the prophets of Yahweh, some of the prophets of God, and hidden them away from Ahab and Jezebel so they can't find them. He's not the only one. But when, when you are going through negativity, when you are going through doubts, when you are going through fears, when you feel like the world is crashing around your shoulders, when you feel like it is way too hard and not what you expected, all you talk about is the negative and what's not good enough and what's wrong. And when we're in this period of negativity, when we're in this period of just 
thinking that everything is bad when we're just down in our dumps, when we're struggling with depression or anxiety or fear or, or feeling of loss or this feeling like we can't do anything anymore, what do we tell ourselves? We tell ourselves to snap out of it, right? Just snap out of it. Be happy. It'll be okay. It's not as bad as you think it is. Just snap out of it. What we're looking for in those moments of snap out of it are these high emotional moments. Kind of like if WVU would ever win a national title. You want to see me happy? That would be the day. I've already told Abby that would be the last day for me because I would probably have a heart attack screaming so loud. But we expect for those moments to satisfy us, right? I expect a WVU national title to fulfill me for the rest of my life, even though I'll be just as frustrated with my Mountaineers the next day. But we expect these high, holy moments in our faith, in our walk with Christ, to snap us out of feeling like the world is on our shoulders. But notice what happens with Elijah. God has him to go out of the cave and look at what happens next. There's these high, holy moments all around him. There's a windstorm. There's an earthquake. There's fire. There's silence. All these massive moments that we would say, oh, that will do it. That will make him see that God is real and he'll get back to work. We would expect Elijah to snap out of it in that moment. But God asks him again, why are you here? And what does Elijah say? God, I'm it. I'm the only one here. I'm the only one that's being faithful. I've done everything you've asked me for. And now my life is being threatened. I quit. It doesn't change his perspective. He's still focused on the negative because those emotional moments don't sustain us because life is often lived in between the moments of high negativity and high emotional moments. So what sustains us when life is difficult, when life is challenging, when life is overwhelming, when church is difficult and overwhelming, when being the people of God is difficult and overwhelming, what sustains us? It's our purpose. It's our purpose. Purpose that gives us mission. Purpose that gives us focus. Purpose that reminds us who we are and what God has called us to be about. God gives him a reminder, Elijah that is, a reminder of his purpose. He says, go to... back the way you came, and get back to Damascus. Now, the Revised Common Lectionary that we're using for the next couple weeks doesn't fully tell us the whole picture of what comes next. We stop it and go, okay, he's going back to Damascus. Maybe there's a McDonald's there he wants to go to, right? But when he goes back, he's being told to do certain things. He's told to anoint Hazel to be the new ruler of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. He's told to anoint Jehu to take over for Ahab and lead him to take over the people of Ahab and Jezebel's leadership. And he's told to find Elisha 
and anoint him to be the next prophet of greatness. God reminds him of who he is and what it is that God has called him to do as a child of God and a purpose of worth, and that is to be a prophetic voice that speaks truth to power. It is to be a prophetic voice that comes alongside those who are fighting the challenges of the day. It is to be the one that empowers and equips the next generation to rise up to be the voice of God and to be a witness of God. Elijah is given a renewal and a remembrance of his purpose that sustains him moving forward. He finds Hazel, he finds Jehu, he finds Elisha, and then by the end of his days, he's taken up and ascends to heaven as a faithful servant of God. Elijah was given a renewed sense of his purpose that sustained him through the negative moments that we all encounter and the high moments of faith that we all have. And it sustained him to be the voice and a witness of God in good times and bad times and every time in between. So my friends, what sustains us? What's our purpose? And what's your purpose? Every one of us has a purpose in God. It's not just the pastor. It's not just a couple leaders. It's all of us. We all are called and equipped by God to be used by God, to share love, to share his joy, to be children of God and to be in love with God and to serve God in how we live. All of us have a purpose. All of us have something that wakes us up every morning that motivates us to not just stay in, day, in bed and watch reruns of MASH, but to keep us going when life is hard and difficult and challenging. We, as a church, have a, mo a purpose that keeps us going and motivates us when it seems difficult, when it seems hard, when it seems challenging, when it seems overwhelming. That purpose sustains us. And when we have that purpose that sustains us, we're not focused on the negative and we're not focused on depending ourselves on that quick fix of sugar that is that emotional high. We are able to live in that cloud of dust that sustains our life and our witness and faith throughout all seasons of life, good and bad. So what's your purpose? What's our purpose? For me, what has sustained me over the last few years of difficult, trying, frustrating ministry that has grown my bald spot even more, it's preaching. It's teaching. It's equipping leaders to be the church, as well as it is a coaching and equipping the church to welcome people that are often excluded for their disabilities, whether it's autism or anything else. That ministry and mission to welcome those that are often the most excluded simply for no other reason 
and they have something going on in their life is what's sustaining and motivating me to reach out to other people and other churches and other communities, and that ministry is thriving and growing right now. But what about you? And what about us? We don't have to focus on all the negativity. We don't always have to focus in on what's not right. We don't always have to point out the way things haven't always been or to criticize every moment. We don't have to look around and talk behind our backs about how much there's not enough money or that there's not enough people or say we can't do anything because there's not enough money or resources. We don't have to always talk in the negatives of what we can't do. We can live into our purposes as children of God and children of worth in who we are, in what we have, and in what God has blessed us with in this time and this season. When we remember our purposes, the negatives are overshadowed by the blessings of God and the blessings of opportunity and the blessings of mission and ministry in our presence. So what is your purpose? And what is our purpose? Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your work amongst us. Lord, for the moments when all we do is focus on what's negative or what's not enough or what's not good enough, God, we ask for your forgiveness and help us to remember our purpose in you. Pour out your spirit of fire and energy upon us to be renewed in your love and your grace and even renew me. So in everything we do, we may give you honor and glory. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen.